Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111 will not be a lot of time to take phone calls today. So the first segment of each hour is a good time to get in. Um, and there'll be a couple other times, but not many. Be doing a lot of interviews going to have Cokie Riley like we normally do on Wednesday in the next segment. And then we're going to have a treat. I found out earlier this week that Cecilia Vasquez, who is a new middle infielder, started the first four games for the Cajuns at second base and is actually, um, you know, probably probably will play shortstop as well for the Cajuns at some point. Um, Her father... Enrique is um, a Spanish play-by-play guy for is you know he's done multiple Super Bowls he does Oklahoma he's done the Cowboys he's done the Texans um, and so I just thought you know that'd be kind of cool to, I'm pretty sure he was in Lafayette over the weekend and and was able to uh, watch his daughter make her debut in the Division One college softball so I just Thought he'd be a fun interview, so we're going to talk to him in the second hour and then hope to get – they're traveling again, but it's not as complicated of a travel as they were last week, so hopefully to get Coach Gary Broadhead. So in the middle of that, we will discuss several other things, and I got to tell you, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place right now. With each passing day, I'm getting more I don't know if negative is the word, but fretful or discouraged about the whole Derek Carr situation, and I just hope somehow it ends up well in the end. But each day, you know, it's just as I'm saying, I I keep telling myself, look, if you're if you're Derek Carr and you want to come to the Saints, why would you take the trade? Because all you're doing is hurting the team that you supposedly want to go to, if that's the case. And you 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 help the Raiders who you feel like stiffed you. So it makes on that way, it makes total sense not to do it because all you're doing is limiting you're forcing a team that's your you know, if you want to go to you're making them worse by giving up a third round pick to help someone that that you feel like just stiffed you so why would you do that so all of that part makes sense but something it just I don't know it just leaves me with a really insecure feeling really insecure feeling yeah it was a it was a very weird contract scenario because you know it's obviously not very often that you see a quarterback specifically a starting level quarterback with a big contract in position to get cut, and you really usually don't see him in a position to get cut with a lot of other teams having interest because generally if that were to take place, maybe it was because that player was simply not good anymore and was going to retire or was had a devastating injury, like something along the line. So you almost never see this situation where he tech, he's going to get cut. The team says we're cutting you, but he has a lot of interest from other teams. So, yeah, 
it's one of those things like I don't know if this has ever exactly happened this way where you know there's no reason for him to accept a trade with all that being said and maybe it's a situation where he wants to make he doesn't want to make it appear like he had already had a deal done with the Saints and he's going to wait for a few days and take other phone calls and then sign with them but Again, I, I think he's listening to other offers, and yeah, I would not um, be surprised at all if he goes uh, elsewhere. Just, uh, with each day, I feel worse about it. Hopefully it's just me being paranoid and fretful for no reason and just worried because, again, on the other side of that, if it doesn't work out, is a gulf of uncertainty. Uh, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. And, again, I really think that if you just don't fumble and can make field, field goals, really – if you if your running backs if if Mark Ingram was a bad football player, that's all it took was a bad football player to make that first down. I mean, bad football players could have made that first down. It was there was no one there. All he had to do is run and run. I mean, <laughs> I mean, a bad football player. Tony Jones could have done that. Um, so if Mark Ingram was a bad football player, if twenty two and forty one st- would have not fumbled, and your kick, NFL kicker make kicks without wind being a factor, all of those are, should be 90-something percent. I mean, really, if 90-something percent things would have happened, I'm not asking for like, well, if we'd have just picked off a pass and run it back for a touchdown. No, I'm asking for three 90-something percent things happen. The Saints win 10 games and in the playoffs with Crawfish as their quarterback. So... I'm not saying they can't make the playoffs. I'm not saying they can't win the division. But I just would like to be able to have an answer at that position and get it solidified so we can move on to other issues. And um, I also wonder, and maybe I'm just being naive here. We'll see. I also wonder if – What happens with Michael Thomas could be impacted by the quarterback situation. I mean, maybe maybe they've all both sides have already made their decision, uh, and they all know what's going to happen, or maybe it could change a bit depending on who the quarterback's going to be. I don't know. I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. All right, something else I'm a little uneasy about. I'm. It's just weird. I, I don't like. One of my biggest complaints about the NFL for years, I've had many complaints about the NFL, but one of my biggest complaints about the NFL is that they change the rules too much. Well, here we are in my favorite sport of baseball, and they're, man, talk about major overhaul and rule changes, and I'm not saying that they may not have good impacts, but, I, you know, they're, they're making the base ginormous. I, I heard someone say this morning that if they didn't tell us they were doing this, how many of us would have noticed? Now, I haven't actually seen it. I haven't actually seen what the field looks like with these new steroid bases or not. So I don't really know, but I think I would have noticed. I mean, I've been watching baseball for 50 years, so I think I would have noticed, but... That's at one hand, that's a fair point. That's just a safety issue. Um, so I guess I'm okay with that, really. I don't know that that really matters that much. It doesn't change anything other than theoretically make things safer for first basemen and base runners. So I don't I don't have a serious problem with that. Um 
the whole they they told us last year was the last year that that we were doing this runner on second base silliness. I, I I've heard both sides of that argument. I I I'm okay. Look, it hasn't like ruined my enjoyment of baseball, and so I'm not gonna freak out about it. But I really. If they gave me a vote, I'd vote no. Let's not do this. Now, I think they could I think they could have more of a happy medium, and I wish they would I don't know if they even considered this. Like, wait until the twelfth inning to do it or the eleventh inning. Like, at least give you at least give let's play the game for ten or eleven innings, and at that point, if we want to play some weird rule, then then invoke that. Like at least give them a chance to pl- to win playing real baseball in the in the tenth inning or the tenth and eleventh. And if and if no one wins after eleventh, then go to this silly. If the ball lands on you know like we used, little weird rules we used to play in the backyard. I I wish they would have done something a little more like that. But okay, now the shift thing I think is stupid. The only thing I don't know about this shift. The only thing. Maybe I'm I'm misreading something. Cause when I read the rule for the shift, it says everyone has to be on the dirt. Like, does that but that doesn't mean you can't be inside on the grass and in the infield, correct? Like, it's saying that when the pitch is thrown, everyone has to be on the infield dirt. Now, basically what that means you can't be in the outfield, but does it mean you can't be in the infield grass? No, I don't imagine that's part of the rule. But also it so I guess all the major league diamonds have standardized dirt patterns because I know, and definitely in college baseball, you have all kinds of different ways that yeah. the field are designed with different dirt patterns. Yeah, well, they, like they don't so. even have dirt. Like, well, the old school, like they used to just have them around the bases, some of them. that It wasn't the whole, I don't know that anybody has that anymore. In the old cookie cutters, you just had a little square of dirt around each base. It wasn't in the and it was in it was green everywhere, artificial turf green everywhere. Yeah, else. like I think Toronto, right, used to have it like that as well. But so I don't. I'm trying to think. I don't know that anybody has know, that anymore. Yeah. I, I guess I, everyone I guess has I a, noticed. I, I don't. Maybe they do, but I didn't know everyone had a standardized diameter. Obviously, the you know fence. Lengths are completely unstandardized, so I right, didn't know the everyone infield, had. The only thing that would be different, you either have dirt or you just have dirt around the bases. I don't. Well, I'm just that's saying. Interesting. I don't, know, I don't if, know that anybody does that anymore. I don't think anyone does, but I didn't know that everyone maybe had the same exact length and diameter of the dirt because I know in some college fields, some have even like, even if it's dirt everywhere, some of them have it that goes way further back. I know from mm, playing on a couple I would of fields think back it's in the, the day. Same. I would think it's. the I same. I would guess though. so, yeah, too. But that is something that's interesting and. You know, I can't imagine that th- there's no way that infield rule would have anything to do with it if you're playing in. But yeah, it, the I enforcement just, the of these rules, the like, enforcement hmm. of these rules are going to be weird. Like especially with the guy being on you know either side of the base now, where you have to have two guys. So if a guy's got a foot over, are they going to start you know go over and like it's a soccer penalty kick? Like move him one step over. No, you got to move over before the pitch is thrown. And like if the pitch is thrown and we have guys sprinting across to try to get to wherever they want to be positioned, like. Are we going to be enforcing this rule every well, time? Well, I don't know that you want to put yourself in that position. Hopefully, hopefully they don't do that. The other thing is the pitch clock. And I wonder if the batters are going to be coming up with some sort in other words, the batter has to be in at a certain time or he gets a strike. You know, m- most of us focus on the pitcher. Um 
getting a ball if they don't throw the pitch quick enough, but the batter's got to get in the batter's back box by a certain, I think it's by eight seconds left in order to get, uh, not get a strike called on them. But the rule, I think that's going to change the game more than any of this. And maybe not the shift. Maybe the shift will change the game. But I don't think that that's something that we'll notice as much. But this idea that you only can disengage twice, in other words, two pickoff moves, uh, uh, a plate appearance, that's, that is going to change the game because your ability to steal bases now, I think, goes up pretty dramatically, it would seem, by only being able to do two pickoffs. It's Yeah, that one's strange, and I don't know kind of – I mean, I I do know why they did it because they're trying to shorten games. Like that's that's what they want. Well, to do. They're, they're, but they're also trying to get. In other words, they feel like baseball has become a, a, too much of just a home run hitting contest. You either strike out or you hit a home run. So they want to get stolen bases, Which and I hit agree. runs, hitting runs. They're trying to get all of the things that that a lot of people love about the game back into the game. And so I get that. Um, um, you know, a lot of times, some people don't run at all anymore. Even guys with speed now don't run. Like some run, but there are plenty of players who actually have pretty good speed that never try to steal a base anymore. And, and it's just, just, they're trying to get rid of all that. Right. They're trying to make it more, give you more motivation and to the, steal. The bigger bases also should help that a little bit, they were saying, because you're, you a, little, think, you're yeah. a little farther away and you're a little closer but in both situations, so... It's fractional, but again, the the analytics that are telling these guys not to steal or to steal are also fractional, so it could have an impact either way. It'll be interesting. Fortunately, I'll be viewing all of the negative or positive impacts from a hammock, you know, this year. So that'll make it a lot easier to deal to swallow whichever way. By the way, my family doesn't even believe me. Y'all are all, I don't know, and nobody believes me. I already went through this. We did this in 18. It was a hand. I didn't have any issues with that. People forget. All right, we'll take a time out. Shift gears, talk LSU, and I'm sure some rules with Cokie Riley next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together. Or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Yep. Yep. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us our friend Koki Riley. How are you, sir? Doing well. How's it going? Well, I know you're ready for baseball. We talked about it last week. We kind of have a theme so far on the show today about rule changes. So I want to start there. First of all, uh, I think I heard the SEC's got some rule changes for this year. What what, what are those? Yeah, absolutely. Um so the SEC will put out put on a thirty second timer um, after the conclusion of each play. So like 
in between at bats. So, you know, people aren't, I, I guess, you know, teams aren't fooling around, pitchers aren't fooling around too much in between at bats. Um, uh, and so every batter also must be sort of ready to get into the box, um, sort of at the 10 second mark. Um, and the pitcher has to be in his motion by after 30 seconds. Uh, and these are, again, these rules only apply to, uh, SEC games. Uh, pitching mound visits are also only going to be, uh, 30 seconds long. Um, that's another thing. And then, um, there's also, they're also implementing a 10 run mercy rule, uh, that takes a place at, uh, effect, uh, I believe at and around the seventh inning. So, um, just some small rule adjustments that, uh, could potentially speed up the, uh, pace of play. So do you think now is the 10 run rule? I mean, does travel day have anything to do with that? Or is that just a, you know, what, you know, uh, like a, like you said, time of the game and not being out there for no reason kind of incentive? I think that's more of a, like you said, um, uh, you just don't want to be out there for longer than you need to be. Uh, but do you, you think the mercy rules for? You think the pitcher? You think the coaches like that rule? Do they like it? Um, I'm honestly not sure. Uh, it's it, and, and to me, they're, they're, my guess is they'd probably be indifferent about it um, because I, I, I just don't really see because I can see the case either way from a coach's perspective, right? Like. You want to get the game over with. You don't want to use too many up too many arms when you don't need to. When you're up or down by ten runs, I can understand that, but I can also understand. Well, there's also a small chance that, given how SEC baseball and um, the way college baseball works, even where offenses do reign supreme, like there could theoretically be a comeback, a ten run comeback in the eighth inning. I mean, what was the Vanderbilt game last year when where LSU scored? More, I just go more than ten runs. I believe it was around the sixth or seventh inning and won the game by by um, by quite a bit. So um, yeah, so I mean it is possible. So uh, I can honestly see the argument either way, and I think it kind of depends on who the coach is. And the uh, but also the other team has to use their pitching as well. I, I I don't know. I don't know if I like it, but I I, I certainly understand. And as media members. Media members love that, so I, you know, I'm I'm not gonna being a media member. I'm not gonna totally say that 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 that's a bad thing. So all right, so if I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but if you were the king, I kind of like that king Koki. Um, if you were the king, it, what other rule would you change if you you had to say so in college baseball? You know what I, I'm pretty much a traditionalist when it comes to rule changing in baseball in general. So I, I don't really like one of the things I love about baseball is that there's no clocks and they're starting to change that right now. And I think that's kind of a bummer. So yeah. honestly, I wouldn't change much if, if anything at all. Um, so do you do some of the major league rules that they could put in? So, so you're not too happy with the major league rule changes either is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, no. No, um, I, I mean, I, I no, no, honestly, no, no. Because again, I, I just, I really hate anything with the clock. Um, I'm vehemently against that. 
Um, I guess like the number of pitching, like uh, the number of mound visits, but like that, like you could implement something like that, sort of like what they did here with the with the clock, um, with how long you can have your pitching mound to visit. But same time, like umpire's going to break it up at some point, and it's probably going to be around thirty seconds anyway. So do you really need to put that in there? And when they when they implemented the uh, mound visit rule in Major League Baseball, it really didn't change much anyway. Change much of anything anyway. Um, so I, I, yeah, honestly, I mean, I, I like it when there's a whole bunch of different pitching changes and it changes up the strategy of the game. I, I like it when, um, a, a game rolls on because, uh, of, um, uh, or, or I, I guess in some people's estimations drags on, um, because there's, uh, tons of strategy going on and, 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 and batters grinding out at bats. Like I like that stuff. So. I'm a weirdo when it comes to that, but that's just me. I get it. If I was the king, the only thing I would change more, I would change softball more than baseball. All the free substitution in softball has got to stop. I mean, it, it's it, it makes it too little league-ish to me, and then and softball has gotten be, way beyond that at the, at the college level. I, I don't know why they volunteer to make themselves little league-ish. They, they, need, to, they need to get rid of all that. But anyway, um, Western Michigan, do you? You know anything? I don't. I can't say that I know anything about Western Michigan baseball. Um. Yeah. Um. I, I haven't really d- dove into Western Michigan too too much uh, at this point. Um. But I mean, I I don't see how LSU doesn't sweep the series. I mean, they're the number one team in the nation, and if the, if they go through non conference play with more than one loss, I'd be. Maybe not one one loss. Maybe more than two losses. I'd be a little surprised, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah, it's. It, I, I'm excited to see. I mean, it, I, I I think we shouldn't look at this this not the, like the, the beginning of the season as like oh how tough is the quality of competition LSU is playing because really I don't think they're playing or I'm pretty sure they're not playing a ranked team up until conference play starts. So. They're not going to be challenged too too much. You just want to make sure that all your ducks are in a row in terms of health. That you sort of figure out some of the rotations and um, the, your back end of your actual rotation, and then you know who the starting second baseman is, or who's going to split time there, who's going to split time in left field, you know, stuff like that. Um, uh, before you get to uh, the when when the real tough. Tough start stuff starts because I mean the SEC heading into this year is just absolutely loaded. So what w- what position could be the most interesting to just kind of monitor who plays how many innings at each position uh, this opening weekend? Yeah, I'm really interested to see what happens at second base. Um, that seems like probably I'd say it's probably the most open spot on the diamond for them. That or catcher. Um, I'm just—I don't really have a great feel as to who's actually going to get the majority of innings there. I think there's going to be at least um, some rotation at each of those spots. Uh, I, I think Alex Malazzo will start out as a starting catcher, um, and then I think I, I think it's it's probably going to be grabbing Duga to start out as a starting second baseman. But I think there's just going to be a lot of movement. Because, I mean, part of it's just because you got to have a guy like Paul Skeens who's going to take up the DH spot on most nights. But when he's pitching, you're going to have a different DH, and and um, depending on you know the, 
who, who's starting on the mound that day that that could change things as well. So um, for the opposing team, I'm saying. Uh, so I think there's going to be like a good amount of rotation within all these spots, but I, I think catcher and second base. I'm really interested to see like who Jay Johnson picks out of those group because they're pretty deep at both those positions, and um, and I, I think it's just going to come down to, to feel for him. But uh, I think they're going to try to roll out the, the freshman per, like I would say slowly but um, carefully, except for passing Kling, I guess, because I think Kling's going to be the starting left fielder and. I don't think he has too too much competition for that spot. Um, so yeah, that's just sort of how I'm feeling at the moment. So uh, what about the starting rotation for the weekend? Yeah, um, Paul Skeens is definitely the Friday starter. Uh, that was confirmed uh, a couple weeks ago now. Uh, and then I'm pretty sure Thatcher Hurd's going to be the Saturday guy. Uh, Jay Johnson may or may not have confirmed that, but I'm not 100 sure. Um, and then I. To be honest, Sunday looked like it was going to be Ty Floyd or Grant Taylor, and then Grant Taylor, unfortunately, uh, has hurt his UCL, so he's going to be out for the season. Uh, that's a tough blow for LSU, of course. So I think that's pretty much going to be Ty Floyd's spot. Um, it, it could be Christian Little, but I think Christian Little is probably going to be the midweek guy, or maybe those two uh, just split the sun, split the Sunday role and. One guy throws four or five innings, and the other guy finishes out the game, or vice versa, um, or, or or maybe just you know, Ty Floyd gets the midweek role, and Christian Will gets the Sunday role. So, um, I think those two guys are uh, probably would be the leading candidates in those starting spots. But I mean, I also would be shocked if um, Chase Shores uh, worked his way into one of those roles, or or Griffin Herring, or Aiden Moffitt, or um, even Samuel Dunton, who started a game for them last year. So uh, they still have some options, but it's just not as robust as it once was when you had Grant Taylor available, especially. And even when you had Jaden, theoretically, you could have Jaden Newt available, and he's going to be out for the season as well. So um, they're already dealing with some injuries uh, with some of their pitchers. That's, I think, with Taylor out, that's four guys who are not going to throw this year who headed into the year on the roster. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's just sort of the reality with pitchers these days. All right, one more question. So with all that in mind, do you think that we're looking at, like, pitch counts for the starters, like the first two weekends? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think you ever want to uh, push your guys too hard uh, out, out there in the beginning of the season, um, especially when, especially given what we just saw with Grant Taylor. Uh, you, you want to be careful and – um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a lot of different arms over these next few games, especially if the game's really out of hand pretty early, which is which is what my guess, which is what would happen. Um, so, I, I mean, I would expect um, a, a, a ton of different guys to you know get their opportunity out there. Will Helmers and you know Blake Money and, and, and guys like that. Um, could probably get a decent run uh, along with some of the quote unquote top new shiny pieces. Uh, a lot of the freshmen were probably, are probably going to play. I, I would expect pretty much anyone who's healthy to play um, over these next few weeks. You know, just so everyone can get their feet wet and they can see what they have before you know the gauntlet of SEC baseball begins. So. All right, so we'll actually have real baseball to talk about next week. I appreciate your time, sir. Enjoy the weekend. 
Uh, really excited for it. Uh, thanks so much for having me on again. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. The Cardinals hired defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon. I just certainly not going to say it's a bad hire. They had a good defense. They didn't get it done in several key games, including the second half of the Super Bowl. I just think, and I know the Saints just did the exact same thing that I'm saying not to do, and I understand promoting from within more than, but if I'm going to like go out and get a new coach, I mean, don't you just need to hire an offensive coach, especially if you have an issue at quarterback? I just, I think you should hire an offensive coach, unless, I'm not saying 100% of the time, but. You better have a real good reason to not hire. If you're going to hire from without and come go get some young coach, I I just think it needs to be an offensive guy. I just think that it's easier to be the head coach and be the offensive guy and just leave the little crazy defensive guru to himself on defense than it is to be in today's era than it is to be the – Defensive coach and and game manager as the head coach, and then you the offenses, which is what the NFL. You know, you can you can aid the runner now. You you know, it's all about the offense. Everything's about the offense. So I, if I was a Cardinal fan, and I had a quarterback question like they have, I mean, they drafted this guy number one. And the people who love drafting rookie quarterbacks were all like, oh, look at Kyler Murray. Well, look at Kyler Murray now. Like, everyone around everywhere is starting to question this guy. How good is he? Like, he's got issues, this cat Kyler Murray. So, I don't know. I don't know about that hire. Yeah, I, it it definitely seems like the offensive, uh, it's trending in that direction, right? Like, Belichick was the the guy who kind of maybe made these defensive head coaching hires more popular because of how well it worked out for him in New England. But Zach Taylor, offensive background with Cincinnati. Andy Reid, of course, an offensive background with Kansas City. It feels like that's the way things are trending. But, I mean, it's worked in Buffalo. McDermott was a defensive guy, right? So That's true. Um, you know, it, it, it can work on both sides. What I think is kind of interesting is, like, and we see this in college football, like what's what's more popular right now, hiring like a – uh, a head coach or a guy who's had more responsibilities at a lower level or a guy who's already had experience at the level he's at but maybe just needs a different opportunity or something like that. So is it these hot young coordinators that are going to get hired 
Or is it the guy who maybe's had head coaching experience, gone back down to be a coordinator, which is what Dennis Allen, of course, did, was a head coach, went down as a coordinator, and the Saints hired him back up as a head coach. Uh, what trend of, you know, and kind of where are you in your progression as far as that's concerned is interesting to me as well. We have a lot of coaches who look like they could be, um, you know, they look more like teenage video game players. Really? I mean, it's just the cat in Miami and this guy. Well, and that's, added, so that's McVay. I mean, like, that's what started that, right? McVay's the hot young offensive coordinator guy who comes up and has immediate success. And now all of a sudden we saw that with Zach Taylor. Like, one of the reasons the Bengals said they hired him is because he knew Sean McVay. Like they were like, "Yeah, well, we're trying to find the next McVay." So that it's funny how all these things like start trends. Once somebody's successful one place doing it one way, everyone else is going to try to emulate that. It's not always the best idea because you know not everything can. It's not all going to be a carbon copy of what it was. But. And what's funny was he. It looked like an awful hire two years into it, and now it looks like a really good hire, Zach Taylor. Like now, you know, it helps that you. You know, he didn't draft Kyler Murray, um, but, you know, and 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 the GM made some good moves, like the Bengals, man, because it looked like maybe he was going to lose a defensive coordinator. You know, and, 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 and to your point, like the, the Cardinals didn't even take the experienced season defensive coordinator from the Bengals. They took the young teenage-looking video game-looking player from Gannon from the Eagles. Just kind of strange. But um the and then the other thing that people don't like about that is people wonder how focused were they on the Super Bowl if you're taking a job a day later. I I don't know. I don't I think they probably went all in for the Super Bowl, that, but I but it is a question to consider. Yeah, but that's also the business. Like that guy, what do you want him to not consider like and obviously the way that the NFL works right now, if he'd have told them, call me back after the Super Bowl, they're probably hiring someone else. So for that guy to try, who's trying to get to the highest level of the profession, he, what's he going to say? No, I'm not, I'm not interested. Like, and I think, yeah, there's certainly a situation where he can be fully focused on the game, but also fielding these calls and handling this contract or whatever it was with his new opportunity. That's, but I don't think you can ask the guy to not Try to get a head coaching job. No, you know? I'm, I, I, uh, I, I, I agree with that. So it's, um, it's just noticing these trends, um, trying to figure out what everyone's doing. Wait, the, did the coast hire the OC yet? Or supposedly they were gonna. Yes. Is that that's Stiken. official? Yes. So the Eagles could be in some transition because there, there's a lot of speculation that they're going to lose some free agents as well, in addition to their OC and DC. So um, I guess Cowboy fans are excited about that, or Cheater fans are excited about that. Um, the Saints don't play them this year, right? I don't. I, I was too depressed and frustrated when the schedules came out, but I don't think the Saints played them this I year. I don't think so. I'll confirm that for you on the break. Um, which is good. And if they play them, it better – the next time they play the Eagles, it better be in New Orleans. I'm tired of this going to Philly stuff, although it kind of worked last year. It worked out. Of course, I started working on that like in May and April, so I deserve full credit for that for that victory. But, um, but it's um, – no, it's – just got to get this first 
domino play, to fall. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't think they would play the Eagles. So they need to, uh, they need to get this first domino to fall so we can start figuring out. Once again, a lot of people in these mock drafts. I, keep, I saw another one today. Are, are 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 saying this undersized defensive tackle from Pitt, the next Aaron Donald. Manny says he wants no part of the next Aaron Donald. I, I get his question. You you support that guy, undersized defensive lineman? Uh, I haven't done enough research to have a strong opinion on it, but in general, uh, I think drafting guys with the idea that they're going to be the next superhuman freak of nature that we've never seen in NFL history, and he's just going to be the second version of that. I don't think that's realistic. So probably that's a probably that's a now, stretch. He could be a very good player and not be Aaron Donald, but. If, I mean, we're just joking now because yeah, he went yeah, to the yeah. same school. Right, right. And, yeah. and, he, but and he has the same, the same frame. physical yeah. characteristics. But so I'm always leery of the undersized guys in those spots. But the league has changed a little bit with the rule packages and the quickness and speed being so valued now. So not to say it wouldn't work out, but I don't have a firm opinion one way or the other yet. If we could just get the first domino. I, if we could solve the quarterback issue one way or the other, then we can go head into the, the NFL mock drafts and the drafts and start trying to figure that out. All right, we'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, coming foot on The Game. Well, something... That happened last night always does my heart good. I don't know why. I have just have this really fond memory of being a very young lad and this happening. When the Bucks beat the Celtics, it just does my heart good. So I, I enjoyed seeing that last night. Uh overtime win, 131 to 125. The Buck well, any first of all, anytime the Celtics lose, it does my heart good. But somehow, uh, other than the Lakers. It just does my heart good when the Bucks beat the Celtics. I like that. Are you going to be staying up late tonight to watch Pelicans Lakers on ESPN? That's a good question. Nine I need, o'clock. Tip. I, I need to at least tape it for sure. I doubt I, I. I'm getting too old and fat, and I got a long day ahead of me. But um, I doubt I stay up late. But I hope to watch maybe a little bit of it and tape it and watch a little more. I did tape that. Um, the game with the Lakers when they played in New Orleans and watched quite a bit of that. That was that was that was good to see. Um but it was um, you know, the Lakers are kind of a mess right now. Like there's a lot of people pushing this narrative that there's unrest between A D and LeBron and AD's on his way out and all that. I mean, who knows what to believe? It's it's hard to know what to believe and all that. But but no, at least uh, at least the Celtics got beat by the Bucks last night. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. 
So we ruining the the only pure sport we got left on so baseball. With a yeah, they change they I mean, changing they changing too much too many rules. I, I don't like it. I, I mean, I'm done. I mean, I might as well I might as well buy me a, a PS4 or five and start playing Fortnite. I mean, what's going on? <laughs> oh no, we don't want that. What is going on? We don't, man? I don't I like mean, it. The only, the only real thing we got left is golf. You know. Yeah, but golf the, the I don't know that the rules have changed all that much, but the the equipment is just so different. Well, that's in every sport too. I mean, you can't tell me. I mean, the the shoulder pads didn't change in basketball. Yeah, well, and in baseball they wear all this protection on their bodies. I guess so. Yeah, I mean they they pretty similar. They all gonna look like they catch as a goalies for, for a hockey team. You know, when they get up the bat. I mean. <laughs> Not, all I'm gonna say is about baseball. Pop on. Have a good day. All right. No, I don't. I'm. I'm. I fight change as well. Um, I have though noticed that, and this is a PC thing. I mean, or PA thing, I should say. I have noticed that when your team is winning, it's a lot easier to handle changes. Like. If the Astros were struggling right now, I probably would be more aggravated about all these rule changes when you're in a hammock season because you just won the World Series for the second time in, you know, five or six years and you've been to two other World Series. You're like, you tend to take that stuff a little more in stride. Well, it happened with the Saints when they won and then they changed the overtime rule because of how they got the ball in the NFC Championship game. Right. But it was like, well, we won our Super Bowl. I don't really. You can do whatever you want moving forward. Now, then, of course, they've changed that rule again and again and again, and they finally now have it to where it's got some sort of fairness. It's still not fully fair, but that didn't make any sense to me ever. You talk about NFL unfairness when team could just get the ball, win a coin toss, and kick a field goal. That was ridiculous, but it took them a long time to change that rule. Oh, it was that way for forever. Well, of course, early on, I think they had ties like college football. Um, but in my lifetime, yeah, there were a couple of, I think, I think that changed in the 70s. So, um, no, I, I, I'm, I'm anti-rule changes. I, I get Saints haters' point, but it is a lot easier. By the way, I, I, I don't know if we have enough time to do this. I have an off-the-wall question to ask y'all, and maybe if we don't come up with it now, I – you know, grew up watching, you know, Batman and, you know, Super Friends and all that and Batman with Adam West and all that. And so I argue with Russ all the time about that. And he is of the opinion that Batman is the biggest jerk of all the super. He go, and I keep telling him it's not true. And he says, well, ask on the radio. So who would you say is the biggest jerk of all the superheroes? Uh, I don't have a strong opinion form there for you. I, I don't either. So if anybody could, because to me, Batman is not a jerk, and he keeps telling me Batman is a jerk. I could see the I could see the point. I've heard this argument a little bit before, and I and I see the argument for it. But the other thing is, there's so many different now portrayals of different, and you could just pick different movies in which they have different ways of. You know what I mean? There's not like one Batman with one actor where he's a consistent character the way it used to be when it was originally coming out. Yeah. You have, you have a lot of different... So you could pick... 
you know, and this. Look, I don't watch any superhero movies, so I have no. My only frame of reference is Batman, is Boom Pow in the seventies, you know, with, with with Burgess Meredith and C, as the Penguin and Cesar Romero as Joker. Like all the uh, stuff that happens, all that dark stuff that's happened since then, I have zero frame of reference for. So, I guess I'm basing this on nineteen seventies. Come home from kid, eat cinnamon pop tarts with vanilla ice cream on top of it, and watch Batman. That's what my my frame of reference. Way before Dawson's time. Way before Dawson's time. All right. So this is what we're gonna do. We had a change of, of plans. Gary Broadhead will be at ten, and then Enrique Vasquez, and then maybe we can get to some of that stuff. We'll be back. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foote. On the game, simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. Not going to give you the game hotline because for the next two segments, we'll be doing interviews. Don't normally do it, but that's the way it works every once in a while. We have with us UL women's basketball coach Gary Broadhead. How are you, sir? Doing great. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So we're just, the theme of the show today is rule changes. If you were the king, what rule would you change in, in college basketball? Um, I, I don't like advancing the ball. I think it makes the game last too long. I mean, it because we're using every timeout that we have toward the end of the game. So I don't, you know, I'd rather just play out of it, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm a, we're a pressing team, too, so it takes away our press. So I, I don't like that on the women's side. I know they don't have it on the men's side, but on the women's side, I think I would take that away. I, I, I agree with that. You should have to advance. I, it, it's too artificial to be automatically get the ball at three-quarter court if you call a timeout at the end of a game. I, I don't I, – I, I think that looks strange. It just seems like somebody's cheating in that process when I'm watching it happen. Yeah, and then not only that, it extends the game so much because yes. everybody's doing it. I mean, we call it timeout after timeout after timeout where if you didn't advance it, you know, you would try to work through pressing and – actually breaking the press and all that. So it makes it more basketball-like to me. I agree. All right, so you had a road trip last week. Um, you have another road trip this week. This one's going to be a little more familiar places that you've been before as opposed to James Madison. But one of those places, Coach, are we ever going to get to the point where we don't have to say, Arkansas State's a tough place to play because, look, when you first started, Arkansas State was an elite program. Well, they're no longer an elite program within the conference anymore, and yet I'm still hearing you say that's a tough place to play. Why is that? I don't know. It's just they shoot it so well. You know, you got good crowds and, you know, just uh, – I don't know. It's, it's just the way uh, – I mean, they they play up tempo with that home, and they just. I mean, honestly, I think they just shoot it so well, and it's kind of scary because, I mean, the last game we had against them at home uh, at, at at the Cajun almost a tough game, and they're playing really well right now. And their guard plays scoring; they got three kids that are scoring in double figures, so it's already uh, going to be a pretty tough game. But over there, yeah, I mean, we got to a point to where we couldn't win there. I, I remember one year. When they were really good, we lost by 50 on that Saturday. We played them in the first round of the tournament 
on the Tuesday and, and uh, lost to them at the buzzer, you know. So it's just 50 points to, to almost an overtime game. That's a big difference in two days. Obviously, first you have to um, beat Monroe, but but you said in Monday's presser that your mindset right now is win every game, and so um, do you do, do do you sense that your girls feel pressure, or how, how do you think they're handling the situation y'all are in right now? Which is you want to at least finish in the top four. You're tied for fifth. Um, you know, you're playing a couple of the teams that are involved in all that, or at least one in Texas State and in Southern Miss at home at the end. And so if you can take care of the teams you're ahead of, then you can kind of control your destiny a little bit. But what about how do you feel like the girls are handling the situation y'all are in? Yeah, you know, I think they take one game at a time. But, you know, I think sometimes, you know, especially at this day and age, we take teams lightly and all that. I'm, I was hoping that they – I mean, I'm hoping that they don't because I thought last time we played ULM and Arkansas State, we kind of took it for granted that we were a better team. But, you know, you got to go out and play, you know. And they're going to play hard against us. I mean, they're trying to do the same thing, trying to get wins. And so I'm just kind of hoping there is some pressure, you know. I'd rather have pressure on – I like to play the, the teams where it counts, you know, and all that. And, our kids are a little different, you know, these days. They, you know, they, they come in and they, they, you know, they're confident, which is great. But uh, that doesn't win games. you gotta, you got to be able to, you know, execute. And you got to be able to do all the things you need to do to beat these teams. And, and uh, you know, I always say play like us, you know, make sure that we're doing what we need to do to get a win, you know. So uh, that always kind of scares me. It's, a, it's kind of a scary week. I mean, I feel good about the fact that we're as healthy as we've been in a while, so hopefully we can get everybody in, but is everybody going to be bought into making sure that, uh, you know, we don't drop one of these two, especially, I mean, on the road like that, you never know what's going to happen. You know, you always say a split is great. A split's not going to be good in this situation. We need to win both games. No, you know, I, a chance I, next week to be at home and to get that bye, you know, or that double bye. All right, so you mentioned also Monday Mariah Stewart had a big her best offensive game of the year at James Madison and every time Jalen James either knocks down a three but really when she penetrates the lane and hits a shot off the glass it's like man I can get addicted to that move like and yet it doesn't happen (laughs) enough so how much of that do you think is going to be real moving forward in those two scenarios that's something you can count on yeah, we thought we would have that at the beginning of the season, to be honest, because we saw it during the summer from both of them. You know, and I, you're exactly right. I mean, those kids have that that potential to really do that, and it's just been a little inconsistent. But you know, as I, as we move it on, I see some confidence in both of them. You know, and uh, you know, we always say focus in practice, try to get it done in practice, win in practice, and I'm seeing that from them. You know, in practice, they're doing a better job. They're preparing better. They're more focused. So. Hopefully we can get more consistent at it. Uh, I mean, they have the ability, man. Both kids are really, really good players, especially on the offensive side. You know, they're getting better a little bit on the defensive side. But, you know, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a work in progress. And, you know, we're getting a little bit more patient, I think, on the defensive side with both of them. So, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of working hand in hand. But, they, you know, if they could get more consistent at what they're doing, that would be great. It seems to me that there are times, I guess it happens to every player, but it seems like there are times when Nubia kind of gets lost within the offense in terms of how many shots she gets or doesn't get. Like, Destiny has more control over how many shots she gets, and it seems like at times Nubia kind of gets lost. What do you think of that situation? 
Yeah, you know, she's coming in. I mean, she's just like a freshman. You know, she's coming in, uh, you know, trying to learn the system and all that. And I think sometimes there's a little bit of confusion behind it, you know, uh, in what we want from her and what she, you know, what she's expected to do. And I think, you know, it's just, it's one of those things, you know, she's, she's very, very capable of shooting the ball, you know, just uh, there again, you know, getting more comfortable. And, you know, I think D-Rice tries to do a good job to try to handle her uh, in that situation. But, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, the pressure kind of gets to her. And I think uh, that's just one of the things that we, we got to try to get her more comfortable in our offense. So in your mind, considering your team, I mean, can you put into words, like, how critical is it to finish in the top four for you? I think it is because of the number of kids we play in. You know, I mean, it's critical for almost everybody in the conference other than Troy that plays 20 kids, you know. You know, when you play in a certain number of kids, you know, you don't want to – back-to-back is going to be kind of a little bit tougher. You know, even though you get a day off, you, you know, you're going to have to kind of get them ready. It's depending – four games to three games, I think, for us, is going to make a difference. You know, if we have to play four – you know, that extra game could really hurt us if, if you make it to the finals. Uh, three games, to me, would be better, uh, you know, for our, you know, physically and mentally, too, you know. So, yeah, you know, you don't have to win that extra game. And, you know, but, I mean, it is what it is. You you go in, I always say that, you know, you hopefully you're playing the best when you get in the tournament. And, you know, I think we're playing right now pretty good with these next four games. We still can improve. And But, yeah, I agree with you. I'd like, I mean, a bye, would, I think, would make a big difference in – the fact that we could rest some people, especially some of those kids like Tamara, uh, you know, that's played a lot, man. She's played a lot of minutes uh, this season. So if we could kind of rest her one game would really, really help her. You mentioned being healthy. And, and with Destiny Rice, y'all have kind of paced her all season. Do, do you feel like she's going to be able to go strong here down the stretch? Yeah, we. I mean, that's our plan is, you know, we're going to utilize her as much as we can, you know, and, and still try to save her as much as we can, too, depending. You know, Sherry Porter and her are doing a pretty good job of alternating in and out. Uh, and then sometimes at the end of the game, they're in there together. So, you know, we, uh, we'll use them, you know, in the tournament as we, as we go. You know, we really have our, our, our goal is that tournament. So we'll, we'll save her as much as we can. Once we get in the tournament, you know, it's, it's kind of a do-or-die situation where, we got to kind of get out of there. And she knows that. She, I think she's kind of ready for it mentally, you know. She's looking better every day. So hopefully we can utilize her uh, when we need her. So I think Texas State has proven to be a good matchup for y'all. Am I, am I hearing that from what you said Monday that is James Madison the worst matchup of the top four or five teams looking forward into the tournament potentially for y'all? Or, or, or who might that be? You know, I think everybody's kind of like, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of different. But, yeah, James Madison, they, I mean, I tell you what, man, fundamentally sound. They move the ball. I like, I like the way they defend it. I like the whole part of their game. Uh, they had a shooter that was phenomenal. Uh, the, Je- the Jefferson kid just can score it, and she's six foot, so she causes a little bit of problem. She's playing at the guard position. Uh, they got six fours inside. That didn't really hurt us. But, I mean, they 6-4, you know, and they rebound well. I thought they defended fairly well, you know. Uh, and we started kind of slow. But, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think that's a matchup problem. I think Troy's a matchup problem for everybody. You know, they, the way they play, you gotta, you got to be on your game, you know. You're never in, you're never out. So, you know, those are, those are the two that I think that are, 
are really, really good. Now, Texas State is playing really well right now. I thought they would be, you know, top one, two in the, in the league, you know, because of their experience. You know, they got a post. I mean, they got, I call it a big three, the point guard. They got the shooting. I mean, they got a hybrid that can shoot lights out and then the post player inside, you know. So Thompson's really good. So, I mean, that's going to be uh that's going to be a tough matchup, too. We just played really, really well against them, you know. And if we could we, – we find ways to defend them. Uh, we do a pretty good job. Can we do that again, you know. So, you know, I would think – I think it's wide open to be – whoever's going to be playing the best in the tournament, I feel good about that, you know. Whoever's going to be playing the best is, is who's going to come out on top. All right, Coach. We appreciate your time and good luck on this trip. All right, Kev. Thanks so much, man. Go case. All right. Um, We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. We have with us a little bit more of a unique interview, Mr. Enrique Vasquez. How are you, sir? Good morning, guys. Thanks for the invite. Uh, Glad to be here. Well, I found out earlier this week that the Cajuns' new second baseman, maybe shortstop, we'll just say middle infielder, starting as a freshman, and we got a chance to see her hit a grand slam and play good defense over the weekend, that her father is this big, famous Spanish (laughs) play-by-play announcer. So I said, how cool is that? Well, yeah, yeah, it was a fun weekend, great weekend, and as you mentioned, she kept it off. Man, with, the, with, with that with that shot over the fence for the, for the grand slam, but yeah, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, I guess, make, make it a living uh, to do this this sports thing. Uh, starting back in 1992 with the Houston Oilers on their Spanish radio broadcast. Uh, of course, everybody remembers the, the conclusion of that season, the comeback against the Buffalo Bills uh, in the playoff game, and and it's been uh, you know an exciting career uh, with, with with the Oilers, and then with Fox Deportes, I got to call uh, a couple of Super Bowls in uh, NFL, actually in Louisiana, the Super Bowl 31. I uh, had a chance to call that one with Raul Allegra, the former uh, New York Giants uh, place kicker. Uh, then a couple of years with the, with the Cowboys, 2000-2001, uh, and been fortunate to be with the, with the uh, Houston Texans now since 2002. Okay, so let's back up. You said, were you, were you uh, in Lafayette over the weekend to see the series? Oh, absolutely! Yes, uh, yeah. Being, being the opening weekend, I, I was there, and I, you know, just being being able to experience that with my daughter is something that we've been looking forward to for so long. She committed to the Cajuns back in eighth grade. She was the last class that was able to do that early verbal commitment until they changed the rule. So this is something that you know she'd been working for, and her and her teammates, uh, Victoria Valdez, who she played with uh, travel ball the last couple of seasons, as well with the. Uh, Chloe Riosetto, who's also a freshman, and they've been working hard to get to this, and, and to see them on the field was, was awesome, and then the way they did it with both of them, getting a chance to hit one out on Sunday was just incredible. All right, so did you pass up a chance to go to do the Super Bowl, or were you not scheduled ever to do the Super Bowl to be there, there this weekend? 
No, no, no. I, I wasn't scheduled uh, really since uh, since I left Fox Sports. I haven't really been on a national broadcast. But uh, but with, with 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 if the Texans would have been in the Super Bowl, it would obviously you know, uh, work, and I would have had to go to the Super Bowl. But you know, the Texans are far from that. But no, yeah, <laughs> I didn't have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. But I certainly was going to miss opening weekend with the Cajuns. All right. So what was your? Obviously, you've probably visited with your daughter when she made a visit or an official visit or even an unofficial. So like what? What were your impressions of Lamson Park and the program and the city and all that from the first weekend? For the first weekend that we had the chance to get down there, actually, we were, as we were walking up to, 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 the, to the field, we parked over there by, by the football stadium, of course, and we saw some people out there. I thought there was a track meet. I thought there was something going on at the stadium. They were tailgating for what was at that time a scrimmage. And that right there, like, just, well, I was like, wow, all these fans out here for a scrimmage tailgating for softball. So that was right off the bat. And it, just the way they welcomed the girls, uh, I had a chance to, to get to know Coach Glasgow before, uh, obviously, he made the offer. One of her travel coaches back with a hot shot here in the Houston area was a player, uh, Mel Dumasich is her name, that uh, that Coach Glasgow coached her when she was 14, 15. So she knew her. And, and when we started first contemplating the possibility of Cecilia committing there, you know, we turned to Mel and, hey, what, what do you think about Coach Glasgow? And she, she was like, oh, man, he, he's a great man. He's almost like a dad to me. Uh, and, and on top of that, he's just a great softball mind. So just right off the bat, we just knew that this was a place that, that would, would be really great for Cecilia. And we were really comfortable with everything. And, and the fans are great. The, the complex is just, it's just amazing what, what they have there at, at Lampson Park. So just uh, we just fell in love with the place from the very beginning. All right. So, again, we're speaking with Cecilia Vasquez's dad, Enrique. And so you mentioned Victoria uh, Valdez and, and your daughter. Um, I was just been so impressed, you know, with Victoria. Like, she just seems to be so fundamentally sound. Your daughter seems to be so fundamentally sound. Like, I think you did a little, you know, travel ball coaching with them. Just tell me about why, wh- wh- where does that come from for those two girls? Well, the, the, the travel ball team that we played with, and, and I've known Victoria since she was 10. That's when uh, Cecilia uh, started playing first with the, with the Hot Shots organization based out of Houston. The head coach and, and the leader of that organization is Nathan Nelson, who's also a, a Raging Cajun great baseball player. He was part of that 2000 World Series team. And, and, and that since that since that tenu uh, team started, uh, we, we've been playing against Victoria at uh, national championships. We, we played against her at, uh, at PGF, which is one of the premier tournaments out in California. We beat them and tenu. But by the you know by 16, you she joined the organization. We started playing together, and 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 that organization was really successful. We, they, Cecilia's team and a couple of her teammates ended up winning. I think it was like 10 national championships. By the time she was done, uh, they won the 10 UPGF. They won the uh, 12 UPGF. We lost the 14 UPGF uh, in, in the semifinals. We, we got double dipped, but then we came back and won 16 U, and uh, we came up short in 18 U. But uh, they, they've had those uh, those. You know, challenges of playing big time opponents and, and ha- have had success. Vic has been a part of that with us the last few years. And, and, and like you said, it's just two kids that, and, and really a, just a team full of girls that are now spread out all, all over the country playing D1 Power 5 softball that have played against the top uh, t- talent across the country. And, and it's just so awesome to, to be able to watch them at this level. Now, that, I mean, this week in Florida, she, she's got, they're going to have former teammates playing at UCLA, Oklahoma State, and Arkansas. 
you know, it's just it was just been a phenomenal run that they were able to have, and just to have that experience, that winning experience, has just been awesome. All right. So, in terms of like one of the things that you had told me, Oklahoma, I I don't know that I've ever thought about. I I, didn't, I wouldn't have necessarily guessed that Oklahoma had a Spanish play by play. Do most of the college football programs, small or big, like have Spanish play by play? Is that pretty routine in the state of Texas? Well, you know, it's growing. Uh, the Texas Longhorns have had Spanish uh, football since the mid '90s. Uh, Spanish broadcast, the Aggies, the Texas A&M Aggies have developed a Spanish broadcast as well. A TCU, they have Spanish radio. Uh, when I was first approached uh, back uh, just before the 2017 season, I got a call. Hey, say, you know, there's a major school looking for 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 Spanish radio. I just it didn't cross my mind initially that the, it would be the Oklahoma Sooners who would be interested in it. Uh, you know, fortunate enough, you know, we were we were able to work it out with my schedule on Sundays to get back in town to, to be able to do the Texans, and, and they have been really great to work with, and and, and allowing me to, to you know have certain freedom to to get get back and forth from from Oklahoma that back to Houston so that we can make it happen. But it, it's it's a growing trend, you know, to, for for Spanish radio broadcasts for football specifically, the the. Just, you know, to find them across the country, I think even Kansas, the Jayhawks, they they even started to develop a Spanish radio broadcast. So it, it's a cool thing to see, and and uh, and obviously the success that we've had with the Sooners has been part partly because the teams have been so good lately. I mean, 2017, you go back to back Heisman Trophy winners, and then Jalen Hurts comes around, and he's not doing too shabby lately. So it, it's just been an, an amazing run, amazing opportunity, and just been fortunate to be involved with uh, such a great program as Oklahoma Sooners. All right, so do you have like this really um, boisterous, rambunctious touchdown call? No, you know what? I grew up here in the states, uh, so so I'm I'm more of the traditional English style. I mean, you know, we still get excited and fired up, but the, but because I grew up, I mean, when I think about it, go back and think about it. People always ask me this: Do I do the long touchdown call as if it were a goal in soccer? And and to be honest, I, I don't. But but it, it's that just extra flair that we add on the Spanish broadcast that makes it fun and exciting. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that's really how it is for me uh, growing up here in the state since I was eight years old. The, the first uh, Spanish football broadcast that, that I listened to was the one that I was on. So it, it just wasn't common back in the early 90s to, to, to hear anything in Spanish here in the, in the States. But now, 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 now you find it all over the place. Well, I, was, I asked that. It's interesting the way you answered it. But I asked that because Oklahoma scores so many touchdowns. I mean, you wouldn't have any <laughs> breath by the end of the broadcast. <laughs> Yeah, no, and we you know we've had so so many awesome moments there with the Sooners. That's, that's been exciting. You know, the, the, the walk off touchdown, uh, Kennedy Brooks beating the Longhorns. Of course, they made it special a couple of years ago. So yeah, it, it's that flair, it's Spanish. You know, not that it's a better broadcast or worse. To me, I, I just want to make it the best as I can. Growing up, what I want to listen to it as a, as a sports fan, as a football fan, and like I said, growing up here in the states, that that's my 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 style. Uh, but uh, it, it's a lot of fun. All right, so I'm assuming you're a baseball fan or no? Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Actually, you know, baseball is what I played all, all the way through high school, so that, that was fun for me. Uh, I never made it past a high school level, unlike my daughter. She's, she's amazing as that far. But, yeah, I've had a chance also to work here in Houston with, with the Astros. We did a uh, back in the, in the mid-2000s a TV show, and, uh, and I've had a chance to work with them, did some play-by-play for them as well back in the day, uh, filling in for, for broadcasts. But, uh, yeah, baseball, I, I love baseball. So Alex Trevino was that guy, right? Is he still? 
Absolutely, yes. Alex is still the, one of the commentators on, on the broadcast. Uh, actually, his partner, Francisco, uh, who prior to him sh- uh, coming in to, to join the broadcast, uh, I filled in on the radio before he came in. But, uh, yeah, I've had a chance to uh, meet and get to know uh, Alex uh, quite a bit, uh, Jose Cruz and some of the other guys that have been around that organization for a while. Yeah. So, um, as far as – so Cecilia grew up, around in addition to being obviously a good player she grew up around sports it sounds like like from the time she was really little yeah yeah she did and you know she's like like most of the girls you know that get to this level she started playing ball when she was four so yeah with me being around with football she's got an older brother who who did a little bit of sports as well some football baseball so yeah it's been something that she's been around quite a bit and and we were just so fortunate for her to be able to get to this level. She certainly put in the work as, as, as you know, all, all her teammates and, and Victoria as well. I, I know for sure. So it's just so, so rewarding to, to see your kids succeed in, in what they love. But it sounds like I've heard some stories that you are not want to. You know, how, how do you? You know, you've been around obviously very competitive and serious athletics at the professional and and, and big time Division One college football for for decades, and yet I'm told that you know you have a good approach as far as being serious with your daughter, but not going overboard what with it. How, how how tough is that to do? And I'm sure you've seen fathers growing up through travel ball who maybe did go a little bit overboard. How how, how have you kind of learned to draw that line over the years? Well, you, you know, this is one of the things that uh, Coach Glasgow, because you know, over the years, the last few years, when he's had a chance to come out and watch us, and this is something that I appreciate him making a comment is that when he would sit there and watch a game and watch me interact with the girls, that that, that he couldn't really tell if he didn't know any better, he couldn't really tell who my daughter was on the team, and and that's because I, I take it seriously, and, and it was a privilege for me to be able to to, to do what I did with, with the hot shots, and I appreciate what Nathan Nelson did for the girls and, and pushing them and and and, and having them compete. At, at a at a big time level, and for me to be a part of that, I I knew that it was important that I maintain that balance, not only for my daughter, but for all the girls that are on the team. It was only fair for me to to to, to handle it that that way, and and for me, it really didn't change whether she was my daughter or not. You know, I, I treated her as I did all the other kids on the team, and it was so much fun, and, and it was such a competitive team. Like I said, uh, all, all the girls that graduated last year are all at big time uh, softball programs. The girls that that are on the team now that are about to graduate are also headed for big time programs, and to be able to work with that group of girls, like you said, so so, so talented and so devoted to putting in the work. They, uh, talent only goes so far, and, and and just to watch them compete and 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 to be around them was was such a privilege, and it's certainly something I took seriously, and 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 just enjoyed the heck out of it out of it the the the, the years that I was able to work with them. All right, so you said Super Bowl. Which Super Bowls did you do? I did 31 and 32, so there was a Brett Favre winning in, in the Superdome, and then the year after that, uh, when John Elway beat John, uh, Brett Favre out in Qualcomm Stadium out in San Diego. Oh, man, because my wife, I married into a Brahma Saints fan, but my, my wife, I married into a Bronco family, and that was uh, that was, that was was a great Super Bowl. The, uh, the, the, the Broncos won for sure. So let me ask you, does Jerry Jones speak Spanish? No, no, no. He doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, but uh, you know, that was an awesome experience as well to be able to work with the Cowboys. Unfortunately, it, it was during the 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 bad years, uh, two thousand, two thousand one. The, the team wasn't very good. I had a chance to catch the end of uh, Troy Aikman's career, and fortunately, how that came to an end. But uh, no, he, he doesn't speak Spanish that that I know of. So, did you grow up an Oiler fan, I'm like an uh, Astro yeah. fan, and an Oiler uh, fan? 
Absolutely, grew up an Oiler fan. The love you do, love you Blue Days. Uh, you know the, 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 the what would have happened if there would have been uh, video replay and the Mel Renfro catch non catch against the Steelers. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely, grew up an Oilers fan. And have you ever had a coach? Like, did you ever like cross pass or interview Buddy Ryan because he he might be the most you know one of the you know off the wall coaches in NFL history. <laughs> and I would say Kevin Gilbride would agree with you. Uh, <laughs> I would say, yeah, he, obviously he was on the staff of the Oilers when I was when I was with the team there at the end, and uh, yeah, he, he was certainly a, di- a different different cat for sure. <laughs> so you probably have Oklahoma players that you covered all over the years. So who were you rooting for, Jalen Hurts in, in in the Super Bowl or no? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's, he's such a great young man, and obviously a local local kid here in the Houston area out of Channel View High School. That uh, you know the the road that he took uh, to to where he is now is just an amazing story, and 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 an example for young athletes. You know, not nowadays when you see uh, people maybe not dealing with adversity the right way, he certainly has. He certainly did it. Uh, he peaked at, at Alabama and then lost it all. Uh, went to Oklahoma, earned that starting job, and and, and look where he, what he did there. He he was probably what two or three interceptions too, too many from winning a Heisman Trophy himself, and, and now what what he's able to do at the, at Philadelphia and turn himself into uh, one of the premier quarterbacks and, and a new style of quarterback. They can they can beat you with his legs and beat you with his arms, and, and on top of that, stay a humble kid. Uh, that, that's just you know so so impressive. So yeah, absolutely. I was I was I was hoping for them, and I would have loved to have seen. What he would have done had they not called that penalty, you know, if they kicked the field goal and yeah. Jalen has the ball with a minute and a half to try to win a Super Bowl with no timeouts, that would have been epic, and it's a shame they wouldn't get to see it. I, absolutely, now I loved when Jalen made all the Eagles fans mad when he pulled for the Astros <laughs> yeah. against the Phillies. I thought that was class. That was that, that 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 was that was great stuff. I appreciate it. Well, look, I hope I get to run into you uh, at the ballpark one day. I, I appreciate you talk, um come, your time to coming on with us, and uh, good luck to your daughter. Ho- hopefully. Uh, um, we can cross paths. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Please stop and say hello, and uh, looking forward to meeting you out at, at Lampson. All right. This is Footnotes on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. All right. In these last two segments, we have time for phone calls if you would like to get in the game hotline and have uh, any impressions that you have or anything we discussed or rule changes like we were talking about earlier or any such subjects, certainly feel free. I um, Look, I have always, speaking of Spanish, I, I have always, I, I hear every once in a while people will make fun, especially baseball players because a lot of Hispanic baseball players and who don't speak great English, and I have never, you know, I took four semesters of Spanish in college and was terrible at it, and and, and I I couldn't even imagine getting up trying to speak Spanish at any point in my life. You know, if someone was interviewing me in Spanish and me trying to 
answer questions from someone speaking in another language. I, I couldn't even come close to doing it. So I, I admire, especially these young baseball players. Like, Altuve's been around for a while. He's a lot more comfortable. But some of these young guys, you know, they've spent most of their lives, you know, or in another country and coming here trying to do those interviews. I, it, I think some of them that have interpreters probably speak a little English. They're just not comfortable enough to – they don't want to mess up and look silly, you know, and so they just take the safe route. So I don't – I have never – I've always respected him for even trying. I mean, I couldn't do it. And a lot of English-speaking players struggle with interviews, so now you're yeah. trying to make a good answer in general and then also translate it into a language you're not fully comfortable with. Absolutely. So, I no, I, I admire for them for it. But, no, I, I, I did – I guess I never thought about, like, Kansas and Oklahoma and, and, and programs like that having – uh, span. I've always kind of heard that the Astros did. I've never actually heard it. And Alex Trevino was a, uh, you know, an ex-major league catcher. Actually, caught a little while for the Astros. So, I'd always kind of known that that they did, but um, I didn't know all these some of these other college football pro- programs. So I just thought that was kind kind of different and, and unique. And I can only imagine what it was like covering the, those Oilers teams, like he was talking about. In the, I mean, if you, did you ever see the thirty for thirty on Buddy Ryan and that that night team? That was, I I might have seen part of it. I don't think I've seen it the whole that, thing. That that cat was was nuts. And again, I mean, his the whole like we talked about. I referred to this a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week. Um, you know, the Buddy Ryan is somewhat responsible for the whole bounty gate thing and that was one of his protégés that that was the Saints defensive coordinator and the, and the and another protégé his was the defensive coordinator of the Broncos like when um Enrique was talking about that the, those late 90s Broncos teams with Romanowski and Alfred Williams in them you know so he, his his impact you know filtered into a whole lot of organizations not just those crazy Oilers teams of the early 90s. Well, while we're on the topic of Ryans, did you see the rumor that a couple – I don't know if there was even any merit to it, that Rex Ryan, that Sean Payton was considering yeah. Rex in Denver? I, I I did see that, and I'm like, you got to be kidding. Like, where is he even – is he even coaching right now? No, he's, he's an ESPN analyst. He's on, like, NFL Countdown. Oh, I was thinking it was his brother. Oh, Rob? No, I think it was Rex. I, maybe I read it wrong. I thought it was Rex. I could be wrong. Well, both either one is crazy to me. Uh, I wouldn't. If I was, uh, it, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want that. But, but look, they're in a little bit of a pickle in that you know, if if those early rumors were true, that he wanted um, Vic Fangio, that's gone. And then you know the de- good defensive coordinator they had is already gone. So, hmm. well, you know, Rob Ryan when he was the defensive coordinator for the Saints, my I have a good story with him. One time, we used to play pickup basketball. I was in high school at the time. We used to play at a local elementary school. On their courts, they'd let us use the basketball courts. One time, Rob Ryan, this guy pulled up in his car, and we thought it might be somebody getting us in trouble for being there or whatever, even though we had permission. And it was Rob Ryan. He got out of his car and said, can I get a shot? We threw him the ball. He drained a three-pointer, got back in the car, or took pictures, got back in the car, and left. (laughs) 
That's funny. Well, he sounded like he was a better guy than he was a defensive coordinator because I the Saints didn't do as good as I would have liked with him, you know, as a defensive coordinator. But we're trying not to. We're we're trying not to to uh, for, remember those days. So, but I don't know. Hopefully, we need the first domino. We need the first domino to hit for sure. But no, um, the Cajuns. Uh, Enrique referred to it. They're going to be going to Florida starting tomorrow. They play Indiana at noon tomorrow. Then they play Michigan on Friday. I'm forgetting the time, but it's an early afternoon. And then they play four games in a row against the likes of Oklahoma State and Florida State and UCLA and Arkansas. And like he said, that. Uh, Cecilia and Vic, Victoria are going to have teammates from their travel ball team on 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 three of those four teams, and so it you know I I don't really know what's what what, what what's going to happen there because again I I'm not a big fan of it it's part of sports but I'm not a big fan of like you know when you of drawing any conclusions from a 12 to one five inning game against a team that you're over. I mean, it, to me, it, it, you just can't draw any conclusions from that at all. Yeah. Michigan games at five o'clock um, on that second day. The first game, also the Indiana games on ESPNU and then the UCLA game, which is 9am on Sundays, also on ESPNU. And then I think the rest of them are on plus, but so a nice opportunity. You don't see a whole lot of, uh, Regular season softball on the major networks, so a nice chance for the Cajuns to be on uh, display there as well. Very cool, absolutely. And then, of course, we've got it's a busy Cajun, Cajun weekend, but not a lot of it's at home. Like we, the, the Cajun men play tomorrow night at home. We talked to Coach Marlin yesterday uh, against ULM, and then they're on the road, way going up to Virginia, and then baseball teams on the road against Rice starting on Friday, and then. Softball teams on the road. The women, like we just talked to Coach Broadhead, are on the road. Basketball for both games. So, busy weekend, but very, you know, only one game's at home. So, we'll see how kind of success that they have on the road. All right, we'll take a timeout and come back with more. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, we have a few minutes left. If you would like to get in, the game hotline is 706-0111-706-0111. As we go into, like, as I said, a pretty busy sports weekend, just not a lot of home events. Waiting to see. We might have some home state semifinal soccer matches. Waiting to see when those games are going to be played. We have four teams left. Uh, St. Thomas More Boys and Girls, Turlings, girls and ESA boys are are left. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. 
Cameron, one thing I do know about our, our, our youngster class, especially the, well, the sophomore season and the freshman, they're not going to be intimidated in these teams. You can tell by these two girls, they played probably most of them, or they're not going to be afraid of nothing. I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I agree. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean they're going to get hits, obviously. But, no, I, I think mentally they're not going to be intimidated. I agree. And that the, the, the guy who was called his daughter, you know she's going to be a superstar just because of her first name. You do know that. Uh, okay. <laughs> How's it going? All right. He's from Cecilia, and so, you know, he likes the name Cecilia. And, of course, we have a lot of fun up in the press box, so I made the suggestion that at some point this year they need to, you know, Paul Simon's song needs to be played. And, of course, uh, they've queued it right up. You know, a minute later, very, 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 very impressive. But no, it's um, it's going to be fun to follow um, some of these young players, and hopefully they can stay healthy, and hopefully their careers go well, and they don't have to do with all the transfer portal stuff. It, you know, there it, it is going to be fun to to follow many of them, including Enrique's daughter, Cecilia, for sure. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Kev. Howdy. Well, it looks like looks like Sean Payton's taking every offensive coach that, that except the one we want gone, huh? <laughs> so he, what, oh. he, he took he took a uh, offensive line coach and a, and a tight end coach, right? Yeah, yeah, Declan Doyle and um, Zach Streif. Um, so, and... Um, yeah, there probably might be a couple others coming, but um, I sure was hoping Pete Carmichael would uh, would end up in Denver. But well, they I mean, oh, but Mickey already said he was not going to allow for lateral moves. But aren't those lateral moves, or not really? Because like Zach's not the offensive line coach; he's just like you know a yeah. special assistant or something. No, but but I, I kind of thought the um, the not not. Not Richard, but the other co uh, defensive coordinator was almost a lateral move because he took a DC job. But I guess because he had the title co in his, uh, you know, before um, they allowed it. I, I don't, I don't know, you know. But anyway, the, I just wanted your honest opinion. You know, obviously with this whole quarterback thing, we don't know how it's going to shake out. But I'm hearing now, you know, well Derek Carr might want to go to a team that's a little more built to win now, like Tennessee or something like that. And I'm just wondering, I mean, look, you know how bad last year was, but yet it could have easily been a 10-7 and seven season, too, except for a couple of stupid plays and a kicker that can't make field goals. Do you really think we're more than maybe three or four players away from well, being? Well, no. I mean, again, all like I said earlier, all they had to do is a couple of 90% things happen. Like 90% of the time that you carry the football, you don't fumble. If 22 and 41 doesn't don't fumble, 90-some percent of the time you shouldn't make field goals, you know, under 50 yards indoors 90% of the time. That's all that had to happen. And an NFL 12-year veteran running back knows how to run to the left of a first down. Those are not far-fetched things. Those are three 90-something percent of the time happens, things happen 90-some, you know, 100% of the times on those plays, and they have 10 wins, and they're, they win the division. Right. I mean, That's why I don't, I don't think, you know, as bad as it looked, I don't think we, we were really all that that bad. And I that's mean, with Crawfish at quarterback. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, no doubt. I mean, that's what was so frustrating, you know, with him. And I keep hearing people saying, well, just bring him back another year. I, I just don't want to do that again because, look, was, was he horrible? No. But how many unnecessary sacks? What is wrong with throwing the ball away? What's wrong with throwing the ball at a running back's feet, you know, five yards down the field like Breeze did all the time? I mean, he just took way too many Oh, he kills me sacks. with that. And the other thing that way – too many people in this offseason, they played without that's day one almost the whole season. I mean, that yeah. that, that just crippled them at cornerback. And, and, and they were never the, – the, the, the number one thing that I was the most excited about this team above all everything else going into the season was the depth at cornerback, which they had never had in the history of the franchise. And much of that was, was nullified by the fact that that's day one was hurt almost all season. Yeah, and Adebo took a step back, you know, honestly, this year. He, he, I was really had high hopes for him, but I'm, I'm, I'm not quite, but I like Alante Taylor a lot. Oh, so, man, uh, I like him a yeah, lot. I like yes. Him a lot. Well, let's just hope Fine, the first man. domino falls, and, but, but if not, you know, who knows? Thanks for the call. No, it's so, the last two or three seasons, so four seasons really so frustrating just so close to being so good and you know you know we're all assuming that Michael Thomas is going to be injured but like who who else what other teams have where their best players hurt for like three straight seasons like we act like that's just oh no of course he's hurt but like who else does this like who's hurt for three straight years the Pelicans players yes in New Orleans, it's like a New Orleans thing. I'm blaming on Mardi Gras or something. I don't know. Y'all have a nice day.